I don't know if you've been watching uh, the news this past week, last couple of weeks actually. Larry Nasser, Dr. Larry Nasser, has been front and center. He's been in court. You might say, who is that? Larry Nasser was the uh, USA uh, National Gymnast- Gymnastics Team doctor. He was also an osteopathic doctor at Michigan State. Uh, he was a- uh, arrested a while back, 37,000 images, child pornography he had with him. Um, since then, 265 uh, young girls, young ladies, have come forward accusing him of sexual assault under the guise of his being a, a doctor. Um, as you listened, I don't know if you got to hear any of the, the testimonies because many of the gals spoke in court. It's just uh, heart-wrenching to listen. Um, again, if you were to uh, follow the news a couple weeks back, Matt Lauer, you don't know if you've heard of him, one of the most popular TV journalists of our day. Uh, he was the uh, cash cow for NBC. $25 million a year they paid this guy. He ran the Today Show. He kind of hosted the Macy's Day par- Thanksgiving Day Parade for the last you know, 20 years. But because of his, his lust gone amok in the NBC studio office, he was released. Now, not too long before him, a guy by the name of Harvey Weinstein, I don't know if you're familiar with him, a big Hollywood mogul guy, founded Merrimax. Um, 84 ladies have come forward and accused him of sexual assault. It, It seems like every day you've got another, this is amazing to me, another female teacher who has uh, uh, been involved in a sexual relationship with one of their students. I mean, in the last couple of years, you have teachers, female teachers, from the age of 22 to 60, involved in sexual relationships with their high school and middle school students. Uh, was it the, the mayor of Nashville last uh, week? Megan Berry, I think, is her name. She had to go on television and admit that it was her lust that drove her into an extramarital situation with her head of security detail. Um, it doesn't take uh, much historical searching to see that the sexual exploits of Martin Luther King, of JFK, well documented. Uh, sex scandals all over our nation's military academies, um, Ivy League schools, uh, high schools, uh, elementary schools, home schools. And of course, Hollywood, Bill Cosby. Uh, but you'd think well, the church is one place where this isn't going to be, right? Well, we've got our Jim Bakers and Jimmy Swaggerts and Bill Gothards and Julian Chigvigian. I don't know if you're familiar with Julian Chigvigian. Billy Graham's grandson took over for D. James Kennedy at uh, uh, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. Uh, I personally have had two pastor friends of mine. I mean, these were guys I worked with whose lust led to their downfall. And I was in the middle of church discipline with these guys who had been friends. Very difficult. My mentor, one of my mentors, as a little boy, he was kind of, he was a pastor directing me towards the pastorate. You can imagine what I felt like when I heard that his lust led him away from his family, away from the church, away from Christ. And you go, what is going on? I mean, if, if you could just, if you could pick one sin, let's just get rid of one and all of the, the pain how much pain could we eradicate if we did away with, with sexual sins? I mean, you wonder how many dreams have been shattered, how many marriages damaged, how many childhoods have been stolen, how many kids have been scarred, 
How many people have been left heartbroken or emotionally devastated or faith crushed because of this, this, this little thing? You know, I think that's why Jesus comes in on this in a major way. In, in, in Matthew chapter 5, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me Matthew chapter 5. He says this. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, these guys, of course, have heard that it was said. This, this is, this is he's speaking to a Jewish crowd. And thou shalt not commit adultery. That's one of the big ten, right? That's the seventh commandment. Now, think about the ten commandments for me. I don't think we can overemphasize what this meant to Judaism. This, Moses goes up on the mountain comes down with a list of Ten Commandments that God gave him. These are called the covenant. In other words, this is what a contract, if we, Jewish people, keep our end of the contract, these ten things, then God has made some pretty audacious promises that of all the peoples on the earth, we're going to be blessed, and he's going to be our bodyguard, and and he is going to be with us. God is going to be with us if we keep our, our ten. And so God tells Moses, when you go down, put these ten, it represents this covenant I've made with you, in a special box, and so they build this box for it. And then the Israelites carry this box. I mean, it goes in front of them wherever they go. They go into war, they carry this box with the covenant in it. When they set up their tabernacle and temple, this box with the covenant, with the big ten in it, are going to the holiest place in the temple. And it's a sign, it's a picture of their relationship with God. So when Jesus says, you've heard that it was said you shouldn't commit adultery, they're like, yeah, duh, we're Jewish people, we're, we've heard this, and that's right. There are some Jewish folk who are on the periphery who just have pretty much blown it off. But for the most part, those guys are sinners. We've anathematized those folk. As a Jewish nation, we have kept this. That's right. We kept, we kept all the ten. We have to because we want, don't want God to be ticked at us. And so, yes. And then Jesus says, but I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I mean, they've got to be going, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus, let's not define this one so crazy. I mean, you throw everyone under the bus here for crying out loud. If, you, if, if we break these commands, then we, we've broken our relationship with God. And Jesus is saying, yeah. And if we break these commands, then, then, then we're enemies of, of him. And Jesus is saying, yeah. So well, we, 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 don't define it so, so crazy. And Jesus is, I think he's saying, you know what? I was on Sinai. I'm the one who gave the law. And I'm just telling you, this is what it means. And what Jesus is telling us here is this, this, this is not just a Harvey Weinstein, Hollywood, uh, crazy prosperity preacher issue. This is us. This is something in our hearts. Yours and, and mine. And it's something that's, that's deadly, he mentions. Now, to understand what he's not saying, because that's important, this is real important. What's he not saying here? Jesus is not saying, and I get, I've been yelled at in, in the past for this, so make sure I say this. He is not saying that sexuality is wrong. He is not saying that sexuality is a bad thing. He created sexuality, right? This was his. When he did, he said, this is good. It's good. Just, and we could go through several passages, but let's just, Proverbs chapter 5. Look at what he says. Scripture says, let your fountain be blessed 
and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. This is imperative. This is a command. God out sexes Hollywood. You know, I mean, look at this is this is how he thinks of it. And it gets a little bit crazy. First Corinthians seven says the husband should give to uh, his wife her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, and this is really countercultural here. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another. Sexuality and God's economy is a thrilling marital privilege and it is a serious marital obligation. I mean, God is not saying, you know, if you're interested, if you feel... No, no, it is an obligation in God's mind. So, so he's not saying here sex is a bad thing. He's also not saying here that, that lust, an internal desire for a sexual relationship with someone outside my spouse, is on the same level as adultery. He's not... He's not People, people try to justify their sin all the, all the time, don't they? Well, he said, you know, since I'm lust and I'm thinking about it, I might as well go ahead and do it because, you know, it's all the same thing. He's not saying that. He's not saying that. Uh, in the Old Testament, you were stoned for uh, adultery. You were, it, was, it was a capital offense. Lots of people were, were hurt. Many people's lives were, were shattered. Um, it, it's not the exact same thing. It's not what he's saying. He's also not saying... That this this lust is an unav- an unavoidable, unwanted uh, sexual temptation. You know, you're, you're you're watching the Super Bowl, and you're just you're just there watching the game, and you're just there for the chips and the dip and the game, and everything's cool. And all of a sudden, something goofy's on the screen. You're going for crying out loud! I was not looking for this. I, 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 you're you're just checking through the news feeds, and you're not lo- really seriously. You really at just looking for the news and lo and behold there's a big ad thing pops up and you're going that's not that's not what he's talking about now it's what we do with those things that become sin but but that's not that's not the issue the the word for to look is to to gaze and so i'm I'm just going through the news feed and something pops up but if i Wow, let me just stay. Now I've entered into the world of sin. Now I'm doing what Jesus has said, don't. It's staring down that which I know I shouldn't, even in my mind, for sexual gratification. And then he's not, he's not, make sure we understand this, because if you're like me, you can feel guilty in the sex craved world. 24 7 because there's always something popping in your in your head there's some marketer that's pushing something your way he's not saying that um but he is saying that that lust is is like it's like dandelions you can go pluck off the head of the dandelion but unless you get rid of the root you haven't solved anything so the issue is not necessarily the the Adultery thing, the, 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 it, it starts here. And Jesus says, get rid of where it starts. The problem is, problem is, if, I, I mean, if I'm prideful, it's going to manifest itself. If I'm slothful or if I'm a glutton or if I'm a wrathful person, it's going to manifest itself. It just will. But I can be a serial luster and nobody will ever know. Nobody will ever know. 
I mean, it may manifest itself in time, and it, it certainly can, but I think I've got my little room in the bottom of my heart, doors locked up tight, and nobody will ever really know. And so some folk, they, they have their room, and they go there when they're depressed, or when they're tired, or when they're frustrated, or when they're angry, or just bored. And no one's ever going to know. And it's just, if you think, how can you pop, think about this for a second, how can you possibly embrace toxic, spiritual toxicity and not have it seep through your whole system? But we think, and, and some, some Christian folk just think that because I haven't had to use pornography. See, it's really bad when I go get pornography. But you know what? My imagination is so good, I don't need pornography. And so if I just kind of work on my own, somehow it's okay. It's better. It's all right. It's not as bad. And Jesus says, oh, no. No, you don't, you don't understand. He's going to go through the following minute. And he's going to say that this is enough to keep you out of heaven. I mean, this is a pretty serious thing. He said, this is a, a deadly issue. This is a life or death deal going on. And we think, well, this doesn't seem that big of a I mean, not really. I mean, no one knows. It's not, not that big of a deal. I think that we go to a handful of different places. But I think the quintessential uh, example of lust and its fruit is found in the life of a gentleman who's named in the Bible more than anybody else other than Jesus, who's, who's held up in the Bible as an example more than anybody else other than Jesus, who, who is who's lauded, who is uh, spoken of in positive light more than anybody else other than Jesus. And this is King David. We know King David of David and Bathsheba fame. I mean, probably he's most famous for killing the giant. Number two thing is his Bathsheba deal. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel 11. Because 2 Samuel 11, 12, that's where you're going to find the David and Bathsheba thing. Um, and let me give you the, the, the paraphrase version of, because we really want to get into the next, cha- next chapter. But let me give you the paraphrase version of 11 and 12. Chapter 11, David is at home in his palace. All of his armies are off to war, but David stayed home for whatever reason. Who knows? I got my guess. We won't go down that road. But he's on the, he goes for a walk one day in his palace on the roof. Now, the roofs were not like this. The roofs were flat with a little fence thing around him. It was, it was a balcony. It was, and so he would go up, and he was walking along his, his roof. Now, the, the way, the, the, uh, even though his house is like the White House, right, um, there was no space between it and other places. They lived in a walled city. They had economized space. And so the houses were right next to each other. And right next to his house is the house of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah is one of David's most, uh, he's in David's special ops forces, David's bodyguard unit. Uh, Uriah was, was devoted to David when no one else was. Uriah helped David get in the palace. Uriah was, was one of the most decorated, brave guys. And, and so David's walking by on the roof and he goes by Uriah's house. Oh, that's Uriah's house. And there in the backyard is Uriah's wife and she's bathing. And, and we don't know how long David stared. Now, if it would have just been accidental, whoa, whoa, that, that's no sin going on yet. But it sure seems like David lingered for a while. 
staring her down for a while. We, we know at least this, that when he left, he took pictures of Bathsheba in his mind. He played those tapes over and over again. He became quite obsessed with her, and he called his, his servants and said, you know, go get that girl. They said, well, that's Uriah's wife. And he said, oh, well, Uriah's good friend of mine, and I should probably check up on his family and while he's gone, and so go get her. And so you know the story. They, they are involved intimately. Is it just once? Is it an affair going on? I, I don't know. But I do know that Bathsheba is, becomes pregnant. Suddenly David spirals down into a, a hyper-defense mode of deception and lies, ends up having Uriah killed. And, and then, you know, he thinks he gets away with this thing, and this, then he's told that, because no one gets away with this, ever, ever, ever. Other people may not know, God always knows, it always has its effect. But, but Nathan comes and confronts David, and David says, oh yes, that's right, I blew this. And there's some collateral damage because Uriah is killed, and the baby ends up dying because of judgment, and the enemies of Israel end up taunting or mocking their God because of this. So a little bit of collateral damage. But at the end of chapter 12, David has asked forgiveness, and it seems like everything's back online. And okay, that was cost him more than he wanted to deal with, but Let's move on. Uh, well, it's, 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 it's not over yet. In, in chapter 13, and we don't know, again, how much time goes from chapter 11 and 12 to chapter 13. Remember, there are no, no numbers in the original. But 13 verse 1, it says, Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Ammon, David's son, loved her. The way it worked in the palace, right? David had multiple wives. And so each of the wives had children. All of them had the same dad. It was David. But, but they were like different groups according to their mom. And in one of the groups, there was Absalom and his beautiful sister Tamar. And then a, another mom, Ammon, who just happened to be the crown prince. He was, he was the number one born. He was supposed to take over when, when David dies. He was, he, was, he was the guy, right? And so... Ammon, you know, the kids play together. He notices that, that, that Tamar is a good-looking gal. In verse 2, it says, And Ammon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Ammon to do anything to her. Lust is, is, is like this. He, he never loved her. Because love... oh wants something for the other person. Lust wants something from the other person, right? Love wants to do something for them. Um, Lust wants to do something to them. Uh, Love puts the other person above themselves. Lust puts themselves above the other person. And so Ammon, real obvious here, that he's played these tapes over and over and over in his mind. In verse 3, it says, But Ammon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimeah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Ammon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. It's, it's easy. I mean, he keeps using this word love, right? It's easy to get this lust thing and love confused sometimes. Um, but I think there's a huge principle here. We think we can 
hold on to the lust and have it not impact us. You notice, Ammon, Jonadab doesn't know what the issue is. He just knows something's not right. He just knows the guy's personality is, is, is changing. There's just something not quite, is he sick? There's something wrong with him. If, in fact, we embrace lust, other people know that they might not know what the issue is. But our personality is altered. Our ability to be a friend is altered. Our ability to reach out is altered. Our caring for other people is, is desensitized. That, that's gone. Uh, lust destroys who we are. And you see it right here with Ammon, and it does that for, for us as well. Well, uh, Ammon and Jonadab get this plan together. And so Ammon pretends like he's sick. He feigns sickness, deception. By the way, isn't it fascinating? Ammon's got the same problem David had. And uh, he, he pretends like he's sick, and his, David comes to see him. Crown prince, man, can't be, is, is everything okay? You know, you're, you're dying here. And Ammon says, oh, I think I'm going to get better, but I'm sick. And um, can you call my, my half-sister Tamar? Yeah, Tamar, because she can come and make me some chicken noodle soup, and that will be good. And so David says, oh, all right, sure, that'd be, that'll work. So he tells Tamar, go. Make some food for your brother, Ammon. And so she goes to his house, and they're in the living room in Genesis. And then in verse 10, Then Ammon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber that I might eat from your hand. You know, I've, I've got to lay down. I've got to go. I've got to, I've got to lay down. When, when you bring the food into the, the bedroom, I've got to lay down. You know. And Tamar took the cakes that she had made and brought them into the chamber to Ammon, her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me for such a thing. Now listen to what she says here. Tamar is a very wise woman. For such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. And in other words, she's saying, Wait, 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 Amnon. We are in covenant relationship with God. Remember the big ten? Number seven, don't commit adultery. What you're going to do here is going to bust our relationship with God. It's going to jeopardize the entire nation. Think about what you're doing here. We, this isn't done in Israel. Who we are as people of God, we don't go down this road. You'd think it would wise this man up. She goes on. And she says, as for me, where could I carry my shame? In other words, this is going to destroy my future. But Ammon doesn't care about her future. Lust never cares about the other person. The other person, what happens to them is irrelevant. It's just as long as they can satisfy me. And then she, she, she goes Abigail a little bit and she says, As for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, a fool in the Old Testament, right, is somebody who orders their life as if there is no God. And an outrageous fool is, is like a fool on steroids. You are really acting like a heathen here as someone who doesn't know God. Amnon, this is going to destroy you spiritually. But lust doesn't care. Doesn't care about her, about the nation, about him, himself. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Verse 15. This is a, I think this is a, several sermons in this verse. Then Ammon hated her with very great hatred. 
So that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up, go. Lust destroys our ability to enjoy intimacy. To have intimacy, lust destroys that. You can't see straight, doesn't understand. Lust destroys love. Well, uh, uh, Tamar goes back to her home. Remember, Absalom is her big brother. And Absalom realizes what's going on, what happened. And, and then verse 21, this is interesting. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. First of all, I wonder how King David heard. Now, the grapevine in the palace is probably pretty intense. Uh, but I wonder if Absalom came and told him. And all David did to Amnon was, well, really nothing. He just got upset. But David knows the law as well as Tamar. He should. And the, 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 the law is if you commit adultery, you need to, you, we need to capital punishment. We've got to get that out because you're breaking our covenant with God. He knows that the spiritual well-being of the nation is on the line. And certainly he should do this, but he does nothing. I wonder why. Why do you think David does nothing to Amnon. Maybe he thinks back last couple of chapters. His thing with Bathsheba. Lust destroys our ability to discern. It destroys our ability to do what's right. It's just invasive. It affects every aspect of our thinking, of, our, of who we are, of our will, of our ability to read the, the big picture spiritually. It just crushes things. And, and, and Absalom gets so ticked off at his dad for not doing anything, protecting his, his sister, David's princess daughter. David does nothing. Absalom gets so angry that Absalom gets into a, a, a council with one of David's most uh, wisest counselors. It is David's wisest counselor, a guy by the name of Ahithophel, who just happens to be Bathsheba's grandfather and he watched David destroy his granddaughter's happiness and family so Ahithophel says okay Absalom it's right let's let's take David out and so they put together a, a, a coup Absalom comes in David has to run out the back door of Jerusalem and then what Absalom does fascinating he, he wrecks a tent in front of all of Israel then he takes David's wives one at a time, takes them into the tent in front of all Israel to lie with them. I mean, this, this whole thing is like Peyton Palace, isn't it? There's just so much uh, lust that is turned into deception, that is turned into murder, that is turned into hate. The whole thing is just a, just a dysfunctional mess. And so then there's this war that breaks out between David and the folk who went out with him and Absalom. And, and scores of people are killed. There are, think about that. There are scores of women who are told their husband's not coming home. There are scores of kids who won't have a dad. There are people who are just trying to do what they're supposed to do and, and, and make out a living. And this whole disruption of the nation happens. And all of this because of David's lust. Lust destroys. You cannot just have a little compartment. Nobody knows about it. You're going to be okay. Jesus knows about it. He says, get rid of it. Get rid of it. 
get rid of it. It's destroying your relationship with God. It's destroying your, your family. It's destroying your, your children. It's destroying your ability to discern and for intimacy. Get rid of it. It was at uh, Casting Crowns several years ago. They wrote a song, um, Slow Fade. Interesting song. But here's, here's some of the words. He says, be careful little eyes what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. And be careful little feet where you go. For it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. He says, be careful little ears what you hear. When flattering leads to compromises, the end is always near. Be careful little lips what you say. For empty words and promises lead broken hearts astray. In the bridge, he says, The journey from your mind to your hands is shorter than your thinking. Be careful if you think you stand. You just might be sinking. If you can think it, you can do it. And in time, you will on one level or another. Let's watch this music video by Casting Crowns. And as we do, you want to be asking yourself, Do I have... A closet in my, that no one else knows about, maybe, but it's a cesspool. I need to clean it out. Okay, so you say, all right, how do you clean this out? We live in a very sex-saturated world. There's a lot of people getting paid a lot of money to keep stuff in front of us that's ungodly. How do, how do we clean out the, the, the closet? How do we clean out the, the cesspool? Well, Jesus points this out in Matthew 5 as well. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is serious. Jesus is not advocating uh, self-mutilation. Deuteronomy 14.1 abhors that. Says you can't go down that road. But he's using hyperbole. Your right eye, your right hand are the... Supposedly your, your greatest faculties. They represent the most important pieces of you. And Jesus is saying, don't let anything be more important than your purity. Sacrifice whatever you have to sacrifice. Put the parameters around you. Cut off whatever you need to cut off in order. This is so important. Jesus isn't being a prude. His goal is that we have life and have it abundantly. And he knows this destroys. So he said, do whatever it takes. There's three things real quick to cut off. First of all, cut off thoughts. John Piper says you got five seconds once a thought kicks into your mind. If you don't get rid of it within that first five seconds, it kind of permeates. It, the, the, the gasoline is pouring on the fire and, and, and it uh, uh, infiltrates in such a crazy way. So as soon as the thought kicks in, remember, the thought getting in your mind is not sin. But as soon as it's there, cut it off. And the way you do it, you chase it out with Scripture. You quote, you quote this, you memorize and you say, okay, no, Jesus said that you've heard that it was said that you should not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. You quote Philippians 4.8, Philippians 4.8, whatever is true and honest and right and pure and lovely and of good report, excellent and worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. This is Colossians 3, 1 Thessalonians 4 beginning in verse 3. This is, this is a great text, 1 Thessalonians 4 beginning in verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. You want to know what God's will is? 
your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, and that each of you learn to conduct his body in an honorable way, not in passionate lust like the heathen who don't know God. And so you get the scripture down, and as soon as the, the, the picture kicks into your mind, you chase it out with scripture. You pull a Tamar. No, 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 no. I am of God's kingdom. I'm of his covenant people. This is not something that I should be about. You, you pull a, a Joseph when Mrs. Potiphar is coming on to him, and he, he says, how can I do this sin and sin against God? It's as soon as the thought gets in your mind, how can I entertain this and sin against my God? No way. It's not going to be there. You cut off the thoughts. Second thing, you cut off perhaps the relationship. Maybe there's someone you're texting with, you're talking with, you're hanging with, and they've always been a good friend or a friend, but maybe now just the friendship is a little bit more than friendship. You find yourself flirting with them just a little bit or them with you. Even if it's a mutually enjoyable, satisfying relationship, if it's not with your, your spouse, it's, it's, it's a sin. And Jesus says, cut it off. Just like the video, you can back it up. Your, your family hasn't crashed and crumbled yet, but it's on its way. Back off, cut it off. Third thing, cut off the source. What is the source? We, can't, we live in this world, I got it, I got it. Even if we go into a cave in the desert someplace, we bring our heart with us, and so we, don't, we can't get rid of this completely. But uh, whenever I hang with this group of people, they are always talking this stuff, and it just fills my mind. Whenever I go to the club, there's this one person there who's kind of hitting on me. Whenever I'm, I'm home by myself alone, and there's the computer, it's just really difficult. Well, you put covenant eyes on the computer so your spouse sees everywhere you, you go. Do whatever it takes, Jesus says. In John 8, some men brought a woman caught in adultery. She should be stoned. She was caught in adultery. She should be killed to Jesus and said, That's what, this is what woman did. She's been caught in adultery, sex, sin. Law says we should kill her. So they've got their stones in hand. And then in, in time, the, 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 the men all walk away. They leave the woman with Jesus. And Jesus says this to this girl. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Now, no, it's two things. First of all, Jesus recognizes that what the woman did was sin. It was worthy of death. He says, go and sin no more. It was sin. He knows the law fairly well. He's Jesus, right? So how can he say, I don't condemn you? He knows the law. He gave it. He's the one that came up with the capital offense. So how can he say, you've done this, it's wrong, but don't worry about it? The reason why he can say that is because he knows in just a few weeks he's going to take all of those stones that were directed towards that gal that had her name on it. He's going to take them himself. He's going to take the brunt of them. He's going to die for her sin. And, and as we, this is again an issue all of us wrestle with and it's not going to be over to where we're in heaven but to know that, that Christ has paid for our sin if we're overwhelmed in guilt that is not God's plan that is not God's way we need to know that Christ has died for my sin 
for my failure, for my, my lust. He's died, died for that. Would you pray with me? And I just want to give you a moment, just a moment of silence. In your heart, if you know that there's a back room cesspool that no one knows about it, but you know about it, and maybe the Holy Spirit has placed his finger on your heart on that latch of that door today. He wants you to open it so he can come in and help you clean it out. Would you invite him to do so? Life is just too short. Too much is on the line. Lord, thank you for your grace and for your forgiveness and for your mercy. Thank you that you know all of the the, the nooks and crannies of our heart, all of the things that lurk there. I think that's why you address them. And you're God of mercy. And you're God of grace. And you use even people like us. Father, for any people who've invited you in this morning to help clean out, would you show them what they must do when uh, the pressure is intense? God, would you give them the courage to do what needs to be done? As we go through life again, every one of us in here can be falling into this on a regular basis. God, would you give us wisdom to look away? Would you give us wisdom to cut off the thought or the, the relationship or the source that we might be effective in our time down here for you, that we might know the freedom and the joy that you've promised, that we might understand what love and intimacy truly are before we see you face to face. May that be so. And God, as we take up an offering now, we pray that you would use it to get the word here to our kids in our church, to get in the area, in this world, that there's so much more to live than just our lustful passions. God, would you take the message to broken people who have tried and have come up empty so many times, who followed the way of hell and the promises that were made and the promises that were broken, and the damage that has been done. I pray, God, that you would bring grace and mercy and that you Lord Jesus would have your gospel go forth through even the monies that are given in this offering right now I pray it in Jesus name Amen